And uh, as I begin the word of the Lord today to share with you, I have a, a word, I believe, of revelation that I believe is important. I believe it will change your life. I believe God's going to do some wonderful, supernatural, miraculous things in our life as we go through the word of God together this morning. But can we bow our heads together? And I would just ask you to begin for taking a moment in your own heart and with your own words, give the Lord thanks. Amen. The Bible says having food and raiment. Amen. That we should be grateful, we should be content, and we should be thankful and for all that God has done. And so, Lord, we just thank you this morning for every blessing that you have given us, for every grace, Lord, that you have allowed. Lord, we just thank you for your strength, your help that comes to us every day. We thank you, Lord, for your daily bread that you have fed your children with on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, for those who've been laid off from their works and have no salary and no means. Lord, we're asking you to provide supernaturally for them, Lord, whether through our hand or through your, your hand. Lord, we just ask you to do miraculous things. We ask you, Lord, to reveal the hidden manna Lord, that is promised to those who overcome. Lord, you fed your children in the wilderness, and I believe you will feed your children in this day and in this hour. Lord, that there will be food in every home, and Lord, that there will be light in every house. And Lord, that we will be supernaturally and divinely protected. And Lord, we pray not just for healing for those who might be sick, but Lord, we pray for divine health for all of your people, that we won't get sick. That, Lord, you'll cause us to, to live in such a way and to live in faith, Lord, that no disease can come near our dwelling. And, Lord, we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you this morning, Lord, because you are faithful. And heaven and earth may pass away, but, Lord, your word endures forever. Lord, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I have a, a strange message this morning. It's a ride on a small donkey or a ride on a white horse. A ride on a small donkey or a ride on a, a, a white horse. And you can turn to Matthew, the 21st chapter, and read about the ride on a small donkey. Men, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of the Passover week and a time of, of great uh, prophetic uh, meaning and significance throughout the Old Testament and now in the New Testament. But when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode not just on a donkey. He rode on a small, skinny donkey, a colt, a foal that had never been ridden on before. Amen. So we're going to read from the Word of God this morning in, in Matthew 21. And as they near, drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And he brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them over the road. And the multitudes who went before him and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And then Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Hallelujah. Then turn with me now to Revelation. And we'll read about another ride. But this one on the white horse in Revelation, the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 11. John the Apostle says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, the flesh of all people free and slave and both small and great." And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war 
against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all of the birds were filled with their flesh. Now these are two very striking contrasts in these passages of Scripture. The first, a very humble servant of God come in the flesh, Come as a man, having no beauty that men should desire him, just that he was the anointed of the Lord, he was the Messiah, he was the Hamashiach, amen, of the Hebrew people and the Christ of the Christian church, one and the same. He came lowly, riding on a colt, crying out, I mean, then the people cried out and said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized him as the son of David. They saw him as the fulfillment of what the prophet Zechariah had prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. They saw him on that day that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet in his vision of 70 weeks. If you had the time, you could go and you could investigate that thoroughly and find out that Daniel predicted the very day and year that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and come as the Messiah. And then he would come, and in the midst of this week, he would be cut off. Amen. But it was that was precise. The day that he came on, the precise day that he came on, was prophesied by Daniel some almost 500 years before it actually took place. Amen. So he came, though, to reveal himself to Jerusalem. But the problem was is that the Jewish people were looking for the lion. But he didn't come as the lion. He came as the lamb. And they couldn't understand that. He came meek and lowly, riding on the foal of the donkey, doesn't sound like a very good candidate for office, does it? Doesn't sound like the most likely appearance of the Messiah that they had been waiting on for 2,000 years. But what they didn't know was they needed a Savior, not just Hamashiach, but Hamashiach Yeshua, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They needed a Savior They needed the Lamb of God to come into their life. So he came lowly. He came meekly. The book of Philippians says he humbled himself and came as a servant. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But Jesus came first as the Lamb. Then he will come again as the Lion. Sometimes the Christian church has the opposite problem. We like the lamb, but we really don't know what to do with the lion. But he's going to come on a horse, and we better have the sense to recognize that it's the same Jesus. And it's just as necessary. I would say that most of us need to experience both the lamb and the lion. Amen. 
We need both. We need the lamb and we need the lion. And I think we are in the midst of some days that really remind us that these things are about to be fulfilled. I'll share with you a couple of things this morning. When Pastor Judy and I had just been married a year or so and we were starting our marriage and starting our ministry, uh, we, the, the Gaithers had written a song called The King is Coming. And in those days, uh, they actually allowed us to sing in some churches. Um, but uh, those days are past. But I won't sing for you, but I will read you the words of this song because it's very interesting. This song was written by Bill and Gloria Gaither back in, the, I think, the late 60s. But this is what they wrote. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in the streets. All the builder's tools are silent. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors. In the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the prophets, the trumpet sounding, the prophet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Woo! Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? The words of this song are now a prophecy being literally fulfilled in our day. Seeing it and hearing it ourselves and seeing how, amen, everything can come to a stop at a moment that you did not even suspect that it would happen. Amen? But uh, a prophet named David Wilkerson, 34 years ago in 1986, gave this prophecy. He says, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars and church and government will be shut down. The plague will hit New York City, and the plague, it, and, it's, and shake it like it's never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer. And into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. Woo! Amen. Amen. The Lord said, he said, I will do nothing but what I don't first reveal it to my servants, the prophets. Amen. Some of those prophets are singers and some of them were preachers and whatever, but their word, the word of God in their mouth is being fulfilled in this day in which you and I live. And it is very, very poignant to us. And I believe this morning God is calling us to respond to the signs of our time and the signs of his second coming. I could speak to you this morning about the wisdom of men and how to prepare for these days and how to be safe. But as a man of God, I am compelled to declare to you this morning how you can be saved. It's better to be saved than safe. It's nice to be both. 
But it's more important that we be saved than that we be safe. Safe is a matter of days, months, or years, but saved is a matter of eternity. And let us make no mistake because these things that are happening around us indicate the king is coming. The best preparation for that day is to know in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own homes that we are saved, that Jesus is Lord of my life. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is the greatest and most powerful thing that can help us through these days in which we live. Amen. I can, as an old man, I can tell you there's not many things in life that you can control. Amen. I was thinking about it this morning. There's so many things I cannot control. The only thing I can control is I have self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I can't even do that without his help. Amen. But there's so many things I can't control and I don't need to control. Amen. But I do need to trust the Lord in all things. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Declaring the Lordship of Jesus Christ in that moment. Amen. I tell you, in the darkest hour, you can cry out to God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I know one thing. Jesus, you are Lord, and you are my Lord, and you are the Lord of my life. And that will bring to your heart the deepest assurance of faith and will bring to you the greatest measure of grace and peace that you could ever possibly know. Not a peace like the world gives that everything's going to be okay, but a peace that only God can give that passes all understanding, that penetrates the smallness of our hearts the darkness the weakness of our humanity with the power of his divinity amen jesus is the lord jesus is god let's just say it amen he's not a little god he is the god amen he is one of the three manifestations of god but god is just one amen he is not three Sometimes we talk about the, the one in the three and one, but I think it's much more biblical to speak of the one who is three. Because God is just one. He is not multiples. Oh, this is an interesting day. This is an interesting hour. Have you thought about it? We've been praying, been more complaining than praying, but we've been com more praying and complaining for 40 years about our school system. And all that's wrong with our school system, the humanism, the secularism, they don't let us pray in schools anymore. They're teaching sexual education and teaching things that shouldn't be taught to children in our public school system. And we have been complaining and we've been moaning about all of these things. But... <laughs> Guess what? The school is now in your living room. And you're the teacher. And you can pray before and after class. You can even pray during the middle of the class if you want to. You may need to. But you get to teach your children in a godly manner. You get to teach history the way it really is. You get to teach 
about the beauty of human sexuality and God's purpose for it in the holiness of marriage. You get to teach your children what's right. How are you doing, teachers? How are you doing? Amen? I'm asking you this morning, where's your beef? God answered your beef. He's given you an opportunity to establish Christian education in your living room. There's nothing to complain about. God has answered prayer. Not in a way that any of us ever could imagine it. But I think he's done a pretty good job of it. Amen? Because no matter what happens in, the, in these last days, <laughs> amen, there's what's going on and then there's what God's doing. And I think we need to keep our eyes on what God's doing. Amen? But we are in the midst of a, an incredible opportunity to reset, <laughs> as Pastor Jonathan keeps putting it, to reset our hearts and set them upon the Lord, to reset our minds, amen, and to reset our agenda and prepare for what God has for us in the days ahead. You know, all I can tell you this morning is we've seen some things, but there's some more things that we're going to see. And I don't tell you that just to, to scare you. But I just tell you that to say, prepare ye the way of the Lord in your heart. Let God make a way. Amen. Because when I read Revelation, it says they overcame them. They overcame them. They overcame them. The promise of God was to them that overcome. God wouldn't have given all those promises if it's not possible for us to overcome in these days in which we live. But the thing is, is the challenge of every day will be to overcome whatever the obstacles are that come up in that particular day or week or month or whatever year we're in. Amen. Because there'll be more things that come to test the hearts of men. But when God has tested your heart through the Lordship of Jesus Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit, I believe you have the capacity to pass the test. Because we like when he came into the gates of Jerusalem. We like when he came on the donkey. He came as a sacrifice for our sins. We, we love that. Amen. And we, and, and we need it. Everybody needs the lamb. Amen. John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. But John the Revelator pointed us to Jesus on a white horse and said, Behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's come to destroy all evil and all wickedness and unrighteousness in the earth. Amen. And to establish a kingdom of which there will be no end. Amen. So it's again, we have to keep our eyes on what God's doing. This second coming, he will come riding on a white horse and the armies of heaven will be with him. This time he will come with many crowns of victory upon his head. This time he will come to conquer and to vanquish evil. This time he will come to deal with the Antichrist, the false prophet, the devil. This time he will vanquish all idols and all false religion. This time he will come to rule and to reign upon the earth. Hallelujah. Amen. The king is coming. The king is coming. Last time he came to the city of Jerusalem to save his own people. This time he will come to the world, to the earth, to redeem the earth. 
and to issue to all men everywhere a last call, amen, to be saved. But we have two responsibilities. One is to make sure of our own salvation, to work it out with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. But can I speak to you as a man of God saying this morning that being saved is not past tense. It's not past tense. Amen. Even in Ephesians 2 where it says we're saved by grace. It's not in the past tense. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek. And in the perfect tense in the Greek it says we have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. Because the perfect tense is a past action that has a continuing result and continues to work out in our life. We are being saved by grace through faith. Amen. That salvation is being worked out in our life if we have the fear of God. Amen. But we have to understand that's a responsibility that we have in this day. And why is it so important? It is important that you and I take that responsibility for our own lives Because then we will be able to be responsible to preaching the gospel to the world in a way that it needs to be preached. Amen. But you have to, we have to, as farmers, first eat of our own crops. And then after we've eaten of our own crops, then we can take it to the marketplace and distribute it to others. Amen. But many, many times, like the the seven sons of Siva, who went out to start a ministry and all they knew was the name of Jesus and the name of Paul. They didn't really know either one, but they'd heard about him. They tried to cast out some demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Those demons didn't even recognize who they were. They were not saved. They didn't have the authority of the Lord in their lives. The Lord Jesus was not their Lord. So those demons came, beat those guys up, stripped them naked and sent them away running for their lives. Amen. So I tell you what, you got to be saved before you can be helpful (laughs) to others. Amen. Does that make sense? Anyway, I believe this is important in the last days. But when I want to say this with all seriousness this morning, when Jesus comes riding on the white horse, it's going to be like the day that Noah closed the door of the ark, or God did. Up to that last day, before it began to rain, anybody could have gotten into that ark. Noah had been preaching for 120 years, and the door of that ark was opened until that last moment, but then the hand of God closed it, and then it began to rain. And there was a lot of people the next day who decided maybe it wasn't a good idea to get on the ark, but they couldn't. I'm saying to everybody, now is the day Now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. There's some people out there who've been waiting to the last minute to get saved. So you can keep doing whatever you want to till then. I'm telling you, you're playing with fire. You need to give your heart to Jesus now. And you need to turn from sin and turn to God with all your hearts. And you need to follow him in righteousness and in truth. Jesus is a wonderful savior. But I wouldn't put it off, and I would not delay. Amen. Because if you understand salvation at all, you know you need to be saved today. And I'm telling you, you need to be saved now, not then. Because if you're not saved now, you might not be saved then, and you probably won't be saved then. 
The way to assure our salvation is to make it the most important thing in our first priority of our life and to do it now and to do it with haste. So I'm calling people to salvation today. I'm saying if you have not given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and you don't love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, if you've not learned to keep his commandments and follow him wherever he goes, you need to do that now. That's incumbent upon us. That's a, that is God has called to us. We need to answer. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. But that wonderful verse is preceded by another verse. It says, he came to his own and they did not receive him. Why? Because they didn't want a lamb. They wanted a lion. And some of you want a lamb. But I'm telling you, you need a lion. You need both the lion and the lamb. Amen. Because there's a lion and there's a lamb in all of us. So when Noah said all aboard, it should have been taken seriously. When God said soon, now, he means it seriously. It's a time to take these things seriously. I want to talk to you just for a moment about the name of the Lord. Because Jesus coming riding on the white horse has, has a name written on his robe. It says the word of God. He is the word of God. He has a name written also upon him that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, a lot of people are trying to explain, how can God allow this plague? How can God allow this virus? Let me tell you something. Jesus is the word of God. The word of God created the heavens and the earth. The word of God created the heavens and the earth. John, the, go the gospel of John says, and nothing was created that was not created by him. It was created by the word of God. Hebrews says all things are upheld or sustained by the word of God. Can I use a high-tech illustration to get this point across to you today? If you go and you buy an expensive computer, you want to make sure that when you load software on that computer, that you load good software on that computer that is designed to work with the operating system that's in that computer. Okay, some of us are cheap. We may not want to spend $400 or whatever for office program. So we can pirate it off the internet maybe for $25 and then put that on our computer. But if it's not Word, it won't work. If you put something on a computer that's not designed to be there, you will probably have a virus. I don't know about you, but I've had a few on my computer. They're hard to get rid of because they have to, you have to dig them out of the guts of that thing, find out where they are, and find out what to do to get rid of them. And I'm telling you, I believe the world has a virus because they've been loading the wrong software onto God's computers. They've been putting their own programs into a creation that was designed to run only on a program called The Word, Jesus Christ. He created it. He sustains it. And in order for our lives to be as they're meant to be, we have to live according to the Word. Amen? 
I mean, I know that's a pun when you're talking about computers, but I'm not talking about that system or that program that's sold by Microsoft. I'm just using that as an illustration of something that God has created, that God has designed, and that only operates under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he's the word of God. So be careful what you download. Be careful what you download. When we first got computers in our office, multiple computers, and especially after we started having a network, after a while I had to make a rule that would never be broken. Don't you ever download anything on your computers that hasn't been placed there by the person who's in charge of our computer system. Because there were all these free apps. I found this neat app. Look what I found. Look what I found. A lot of those apps had things in them that we did not want on our church software. You understand what I'm saying? Be careful what you try to download into your life. What are the programs that you're operating under? What are the ways of thinking? Does it agree with the Lord? We talk about our confession of our faith. That word confession, we've, we've always interpreted in a, in a Western culture as a confession is something you do publicly. I want to publicly confess this morning that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But it has a greater meaning than just something you say. That word confession means literally to say the same thing as. Amen? It's homologeo, to say the same thing as. If you, if you say what God's saying, amen, then something happens. There's an agreement between your heart and the heart of God. There's an agreement between your mind and the mind of God. And all of us need a renewing in our minds. All of us need a transformation in our hearts. Amen. We need to understand this so clearly. I want to close this morning by just reading you few verses out of 2 Corinthians. But I believe, again, it's important and it's powerful. So I want us to begin to read by, with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Isn't that interesting? Okay, just say to yourself, Jesus came to reprogram my life to make me a new creation. <laughs> Hallelujah. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us, brought us into agreement with him, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and then, very interesting, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
He's made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And that reveals to us God's plan. Amen. That every one of us, amen, is called in Christ to be recreated into a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's God's plan for me, and that's God's plan for you. And that requires us to repent. The word repentance means to have a new kind of thinking. Metanoeo, metanosis. Another kind, a new kind of knowledge. A new kind of revelation in our heart. God wants to give you a new kind of revelation. A new understanding of yourself. A new understanding of others. Amen? I know Pastor Judy and I have experienced many times in our marriage a reconciliation that didn't come because we worked out things between us, but because we worked out things with the Lord, and he brought a word of reconciliation between us. Thank God for that. That kind of, that changes things. You know, we had to look up in the dictionary the word argument. We forgot what it means. Because God has brought a reconciliation in our hearts. And when we are agreeing with God, guess what? We just kind of agree with each other. But that change comes from the Lord. That change comes because we're reconciled to God. And the word of the Lord says this morning that God has committed to his church, to his people, a ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, I am an ambassador for Christ, and I implore you through Jesus Christ that you be reconciled with God. And I'm saying today, I'm calling people today to make your peace with God. Come and be reconciled with God. I mean, it, you know, I know we come out of terrible places. We come out of, we have experienced terrible things. But the miracle is that in a moment, God can change us. I'm always inspired by the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer on the way to Damascus, and the next thing you know, he's a missionary on the way to Jerusalem. That didn't take 10 years. That took one experience on one afternoon when he saw the Lord, and he saw the glory of the Lord. Today, I'm telling you, there's a miracle. God can work in our lives where he changes things in an instant. The Lord wants to change in an instant the things that are in your life. You may have gone through terrible things. You may have had some dark thoughts. You may have had some very unclean experiences and had unclean things that control your life. But I'm telling you today, Jesus Christ can and will set you free if you will allow him to bring reconciliation into your heart. He is the word of reconciliation. And we need the Lord to bring reconciliation to our hearts Amen. That is what brings repentance. When God says, this is what you think, but John, this is what I think. And I want you to change your mind. The Lord speaking to some of you this morning. I want you to change your mind.
I want you to change your mind. You have a prejudice. I don't want you to have it anymore. You have a certain way of thinking. You're in a rut. I want to lift you out of that. You're down in a valley. I want to lift you up on a hill and give you a vision, a purpose for your life. You're without hope, but I want to bring hope to your heart. I want to bring a reconciliation that comes with a download of God's hope, love, and faith that will fill your heart through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. And if he can rule the earth, he can rule over your life. He can rule over my life. He can bring a calm to the storms. He can bring light to the darkness. Give him your weakness and he'll give you his strength. Give him your sin and he will give you his righteousness. I invite you today to be reconciled with the Lord. Will you bow with me as we pray?